Um, so yeah, I guess we can go ahead and start. I'm gonna go ahead and um, call the meeting to order. Um, I am gonna go ahead and go over some uh, Zoom meeting um, procedure guidelines. Um, and um, first gonna remind everybody the meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and public access cable channel 25. During the meeting, when you are not participating, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon and on the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. When you are muted, a red line will appear over the icon. Muting your microphone during the meeting will make it easier for everyone to hear You'll just have to remember to unmute if and when you want to speak. In some cases, I may unmute or mute people in needed to minimize distractions during the meeting. Please remember to state your name every time you speak for the benefit of those listening remotely. You can turn your video camera on or off by clicking the video icon in the menu. For the purposes of this public meeting, when you are uh, participating in the meeting, please keep your video on. When you are not participating in the meeting, please turn your video off. You will still be able to listen to the meeting when your video is off. You'll just have to remember to turn your video back on when you are participating. Turning your video on or off when you are not participating will help make sure that active meeting participants can be seen on the screen. In some cases, I may turn someone's video off if they are not actively participating to avoid distraction during the meeting. You can always turn your video back on during the meeting. If you are participating by phone, you can click star six to unmute your phone. For those using Zoom, somewhere on your screen, you will see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker. Gallery view tiles all the meeting participants. Board members and city staff members, you must state your name and title each time you speak. All motions will need to be stated clearly. After a motion is made and seconded, the chair will call on board members individually to provide their vote. And then the chair will, that's me, will then need to announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. When public comment is sought on an item, individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise your hand feature. Windows and Mac users can access this feature using the participants button at the bottom of their screen. Android and iPhone users can access this feature through the More button located at the bottom right-hand uh, corner of their screen. And for those calling in by phone, you can dial star nine. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. When you are called on, please unmute your listening device and state your name before speaking. The chair will then call for in-person public comment for those without access to technology options. Staff present will direct you to the podium to speak following social distancing and safety protocols. The regular three minute time limit will apply. Thank you. Brett, do we have anybody in, in person today? 
Uh, uh, Madam Chair, we do not have anybody here in the room. Okay, great. All right, so thank you for um, listening to that. Um, we are going to start um, by taking a roll call of all of our um, public incentive review committee members. And um, if you could just state um, that you are in attendance and your name when I call on you. Um, Adam Ritchie. Ritchie is here. Brad Burnside. Madam Chairman. All right, John Matthews. John Matthews is here. Christina Gentry. Present. Kate Lorenz. Kate Lorenz is here. Kate Emerson. This is Kay, I'm here. And Patrick Kelly. Patrick Kelly here. All right, did I miss anybody? All right. I, before we start with the agenda, I do, I would like everybody um, who is on um, the PERC committee to uh, take a moment to introduce themselves. We do have some new staff and we do have a new uh, board member, Kay Emerson, who is our school board um, representative. So um, if you guys can just take a few minutes to just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, that. So Adam, Richie. Well, nothing like going first. This is Adam Ritchie. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, uh, a local LED lighting business, but uh, interestingly enough, or maybe not interesting, uh, I don't do a lot of business in Lawrence. Um, I also teach tennis part-time at uh, Jayhawk Tennis Center. So that is a little bit about me. Great, Brad? Good afternoon. This is Brad Burnside. I am uh, um, the local market president for U.S. Bank. I've been on this committee for quite some time. I am uh, was I guess I was put on the committee by the Lawrence Chamber Board, of which I am now a member again of the board of directors of the Lawrence Chamber. And uh, so that's that's my story. All right. Great, um, Christina. All right, there's unmuted. Hi, uh, Christina Gentry. I use she, her, hers pronouns. I work presently at the Lawrence Douglas County Public Health as a community health liaison. I've been a resident here at Lawrence for six, 17 years. Uh, five children, all of them who have gone through elementary, high school, and on to college. Um, and my interest here is just to continue to understand the makeup and be a part of the process of being a public servant here in, in Douglas County. Great. Um, John Matthews. I'm John Matthews. I was appointed by Mayor Finkeldye. It was a uh, about mid 2020, so I've been, but I've been in Lawrence for the last 20 years. Enjoy serving on this committee and see how I can make Lawrence a better place. Great, um, Kay Emerson. Uh, hi, uh, my name is Kay uh, Emerson. I come to this board as uh, as a representative of the school board um, and I was very interested in being a part of this because um, I found it important to kind of learn a little bit more about um, how businesses become um, part of our community and how that affects the different um, the different tiers um, that support um, 
each and every individual that lives in Lawrence. So um, I'm thankful to be here today and I'm looking to learn. Thanks. Great, welcome. Um, Kate Lorenz. Hi everyone. Uh, hi to those on Zoom and to those in City Hall um, and welcome Kay and to the new folks that we have with us. Um, I'm Kate Lorenz. I am the Senior Director of Events and Audience Services at the LEAD Center on campus. Um, I'm honored and privileged to represent the Sustainability Advisory Board as their nominee to this um, committee. Um, I've found it very interesting so far to learn about the incentives and economic development investments that the city makes. Um, I'm the parent of a three-year-old, so I spend a lot of time uh, doing Peppa Pig voices at home and um, <laughs> look forward to talking with you all today. Great. I might have to learn a little bit of Peppa Pig from you. I've got a, a nephew that's into that. So, um, uh, Patrick Kelly. Hello, everyone. I'm Patrick Kelly. I'm <clears throat> County Commissioner for District 1 in Douglas County. I'm glad to be here. I also um, am, I feel honored to work for the Lawrence Public Schools and I'm very proud of the Lawrence Public Schools. Just about everybody on this group I've worked with in some way or another. So um, I was on the Planning Commission for about six years before coming to the County Commission. So being on PERC really made a lot of sense. I have a big passion for economic development issues um, in Lawrence and Douglas County. So. Thank you for serving for those of you who are volunteering. And I think that's just about all of you. Um, and thank you very much for, for your work. Great. I'll introduce myself. I'm Michelle Fales. Um, I am currently the chair of um, Public Incentive Review Committee. Um, I believe I'm on my second term. And um, during the day, I am a mortgage loan officer at RC Bank here in town. Um, been in the Lawrence community uh, for 37 years. Uh, my husband and I moved here then. Um, and uh, we live in East Lawrence on New York uh, Street. And we have a son who is doing his PhD in Chicago. And so um, that's about my life. Um, Britt, do you want to do some introductions at the city level? Sure. I'm uh, Britt Crumcanel. Thank you all for being here. I'm the Economic Development Director for the City of Lawrence. I'm going on my 11th year working for the city, and I am also the staff liaison with the Public Incentives Review Committee. And um, so again, thank you for being here. I would like to introduce to you uh, Sam Camp, who is our new Economic Development Analyst. I'd like Sam to tell you a little bit about himself. Yeah, of course. Uh, good afternoon, uh, committee members. Uh, my name is Sam Camp. Um, I'm joining Britt on as an economic development analyst. Uh, I come all the way down from Florida. Um, I've been here about a month. Um, I like it so far. It's a little cold, but <laughs> um, uh, I look forward to uh, working with Britt to bring you guys some, some well thought out beneficial projects for the city of Lawrence. Thank you. Anyone else that would like to introduce themselves? Oh, all right. Well, welcome, Sam. Um, you know, my backdrop picture is uh, from a couple of weeks ago in Florida. I was telling Britt I didn't know why you moved up here uh, this time of year, but uh, I'm sure you're getting acclimated to it. So. All right. Well, we'll continue on our agenda. Um, the first uh, course of action is to approve our August 30th 
2021 meeting minutes. I'm sure we can all remember that meeting six months ago. Um, is there any changes or any motions? Michelle, this is John. I'd like to make a motion to approve those minutes. All right, John has made a motion to approve those minutes. Is there a second? Ms. Patrick, I'll second. All right, so John has made a motion to accept the August 30th <clears throat> minutes and Patrick Kelly has seconded those. I'm gonna go through um, the um, board members and if you could tell, uh, place your yes or no vote. So John? Uh, yes, I. Yeah, <laughs> all right, Brad? Brad? Uh, yes, yeah, sorry, I'm in That's favor. Okay. <clears throat> uh, Christina? Yes, I approve. Okay. Yes. Adam? Aye. Kate? Yes. And Patrick? Yes. And then I am also a yes, so with a vote of eight in favor and zero against, um, those uh, minutes are accepted. All right, so our next agenda item is to consider a request from Dover Construction for uh, a industrial, industrial, if I can talk today, a review on financing uh, to obtain a sales tax exemption on construction materials to build the Cedar First assisted living and memory care facility, which is to be located at 4450 Bower Farm Drive. And so I'm going to go ahead and open that up to our uh, presenters, which I believe are Andrew and Nick. Yep, Madam Chair, if I, I could, this is Britt yep. Crumkino, City's Economic Development Director. I always like to introduce the project oh, yeah, initially. So. And then we'll go ahead and turn it over to the uh, to the uh, development team presenters, and they can talk about the project, their requests, give us a little information about their company, and then open it up for a Q and A. So this is a request that uh, staff has received an application for from um, Dover Development for the new Cedarhurst facility out in the Bower Farm area. It is proposed to be a seventy thousand square foot facility built on seven acres um, cost is about 21 million dollars in capital investment it is a um, senior facility providing living medical memory types of services for those seniors and if uh, uh, plans go forward they would start construction this year and have it operational next year so with that brief introduction i'm going to turn it over to the development team and have them, like I said, introduce you to the project, their company, their request, and then uh, we'll open it up for questions. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Britt. Um, my name is Nick Dwyer. I'm with Dover Development. Uh, am I able to share my screen? I just have a short presentation to run through that would kind of give an overview of the, the project and our company. Can I do that? I think you can. Okay. We've got a technical person here. If we run into problems, he can help us. Yeah, I think I should be able to. Uh, can everyone see that? 
Yep. Yes. Okay. Great. Um, well, I'll just run through this uh, briefly, but uh, thanks again for everyone's time. Uh, like I said, my name is Nick Dwyer. I work for uh, Dover Development, which is uh, the real estate development company for Cedarhurst Senior Living, which is a, a larger organization. Um, we're headquartered in St. Louis, and we essentially develop, uh, own, and operate senior housing communities throughout the Midwest. and. Uh, for this request, we are uh, essentially requesting the issuance of industrial revenue bonds uh, to obtain a, a construction sales tax exemption to, you know, hopefully alleviate uh, some of the crazy cost increases that we've seen uh, over the last year or two uh, due to COVID and other you know, economic conditions. Uh, construction has just become extremely high and, and reaching. Uh, new all-time highs uh, at a daily basis. So hopefully with the uh, industrial revenue bond process, we uh, we can um, make the project a little bit more uh, economically feasible and, and hopefully bring this to Lawrence here, as Britt mentioned, uh, in the spring uh, when we plan to break ground. Um, but like I mentioned, we're a, a vertically integrated uh, senior housing organization. We uh, manage uh, over 60 communities throughout the Midwest and Southeast United States. Uh, we serve approximately 5,400 seniors. Um, and traditionally, our, our communities consist of assisted living apartments and memory care apartments. Um, and so we are uh, housing and caring for folks that essentially um, can no longer live at home on their own. And they, you know, they might need a little bit of assistance or they might need a lot. Um, each resident uh, has a individually kind of tailored care plan uh, based on their needs and the you know activities of daily living that they need help with. Um, so, you know, we like I mentioned, we've got. Uh, facilities kind of all over the Midwest. This will be our, uh, hopefully our third project in Kansas. We're under construction on a similar type facility in Topeka and um, soon we'll be breaking ground on a project in Salina. And the plan is for Lawrence to follow shortly thereafter. Uh, it is worth noting that both of those projects uh, also um, utilized industrial revenue bonds to help get those across the finish line. Um, and those were those are both recent projects probably our most recent projects uh, other than Lawrence. Um, just some sort of uh, data on, on the Lawrence, Kansas senior population. It's expected to grow over 23% in the next five years, uh, which is a rather large number, uh, even when you compare a lot of towns across the U.S. are seeing uh, increased aging demographics just due to the nature of the baby boomer population and other factors. But Lawrence has a quite a high senior growth rate and, and uh, adult children, the anticipated decision makers, that population is also expected to grow. So the 45 to 65 year olds who will be putting their parents in these types of communities, uh, that population is expected to grow as well. Um, and then another reason that we're attracted to Lawrence, and we think our, our project will do really well is just the age of uh, existing inventory in the market. A lot of the competitive product uh, in Lawrence is, is quite dated. And so, you know, our goal is hopefully bring sort of a fresh new uh, senior living environment at similar uh, costs, and very competitive prices um, to, to provide that level of care for those seniors in the area. Um, 
some more details on the project. Uh, it's 74 units. That's a pretty standard size community um, that we like to uh, build. Uh, and so 52 of those apartments will be dedicated for assisted living residents. And then there will be a smaller 22 unit memory care wing uh, that's designed specifically to care for those who suffer uh, from Alzheimer's and other related dementias. Uh, that portion of the facility is uh, designed in such a way that uh, limits wandering and allows for the specialized memory uh, care staff to have eyes on residents at all time and um, and just, you know, more secured and, and uh, sort of stable environment for those, those folks. Um, as Britt mentioned, uh, we anticipate the total project to be approximately 21 million all in uh, in terms of real estate construction, uh, initial operating uh, deficit, uh, all in number 21 million. Uh, and when the facility opens, uh, we anticipate uh, 50 jobs uh, will be created. That's sort of the number that we've seen in other similar type projects, um, a majority of them being full time with benefits and uh, healthcare, all that good stuff. And then we'll have some part-time staff as well, both on the care side and the administrative side. Uh, total annual payroll expected to be $1.5 million plus. Um, and then uh, just in terms of the construction, uh, we'll also be creating obviously a lot of jobs. We try to use local uh, subcontractors in the area as much as possible. Um, and so hopefully will be a nice boost to the local construction market and labor market as well, uh, create some jobs in that regard too. And so just a high level of our schedule, uh, we've currently have the property under an option contract. Uh, we got our zoning approved in December. Uh, we're finalizing some uh, portions of the development plan with the planning department and hopefully uh, we'll be able to submit for permits later this month or early April and then hopefully uh, you know if all goes according to plan uh, break ground later this spring early this summer and this just gives you uh, an idea of what the facility will look like we're working with a new architect here in St. Louis so this is the uh, building design that actually we're building in Topeka, Salina, and we'll, hopefully we'll be building in Lawrence as well. Um, the physical apartments, they're a mix of studios, one bedrooms and twos. Um, the memory care apartments are all private studios. Um, and then, as I mentioned, the facility will be home to 50 uh, both full and part-time employees that will be uh, in charge of managing the facility, taking care of the residents, uh, working in our dining uh, dining program, and then you know, other housekeeping staff, uh, property maintenance type employees as well. This is just to give you an overview of the location where the, uh, we're on a six and a half acre uh, tract within the Bauer Farm subdivision. So really the last sort of developable tract in that area, uh, just south of Free State High School and uh, just east of, of Theater of Lawrence. And these are just some additional exterior renderings. Then these are pictures of facilities that we've built uh, in the last several years. So just to kind of give you a taste of, uh, you know, the the level of quality uh, of the interior of the facility uh, and the apartments, as well as some of the outdoor spaces. Uh, we take a lot of pride in, in our facilities uh, and the quality of the construction. So 
that's all I have. Uh, happy to answer any other questions. Um, as I mentioned, uh, the request here is really just for a construction sales tax abatement, uh, which I believe there's precedent for with other senior housing communities in Lawrence. Uh, we're, we're not asking for any uh, real estate uh, or property tax abatement uh, for this project, uh, but happy to answer any questions and uh, thank you guys for your time. Great, thank you, Andrew. Um, did Nick have anything that he needed to present? Oh, that was me. Oh, you're Nick? Yes. Sorry. Andrew's on as well. So my apologies. Did That's Andrew right. have anything he needed to add? I don't, thank you. Um, I'm Andrew Kovar with Triple Wolf and Garrettson. I'm counsel for uh, Cedarhurst and Dover Development on this project. Um, we, you know, I specialize in bond council and incentive and development work. And so um, thank you for your consideration. Nick obviously had an excellent presentation and we'll have any uh, answers to any specific questions you have about this project. Thanks. All right, thank you. Sorry about mixing up the names. All right, uh, board members, um, do any of you have any questions you would like to ask? Uh, hello, this is Kay. I had um, a couple of questions. Um, one of my first questions is uh, you stated that it was great, you know, um, being able to create jobs. I think that's always a great thing. Um, my main question, though, is is what is um, what would be the average rate of pay for the employees that you're looking to hire on this project? Um, so I think we have that exact figure, uh, Britt, I don't know if you're- Yeah, I think uh, I have that in my memo. Let me get that, scroll over to that. I want to say it's around $30 an hour uh, between the full-time <laughs> and part-time, but I think the figure changed uh, during the application process. So I want to make sure we're getting the right figure. We had sent Britt an updated number, but um, just give you a high-level overview. Um, We've, we've definitely seen wages go up and, uh, you know, the ability to um, attract uh, workers for these types of healthcare facilities is definitely a challenge right now. So I know wages have def uh, definitely seen an increase over last year, but I want to say our average wage is probably $30 an hour and goes as high as $60 uh, an hour for the, you know, high level administrators of, of these types of facilities. And the low level, uh, the lowest level of weight? Okay. Um, so the lowest level would probably be like a, uh, a dining aide who might be a high school student who would work here part time. And, and that wage would probably be around $12 an hour. Yeah, if I look at page 15, I believe it is in the packet. Uh, let me see if I got that number right. Oh, five, not 15, sorry. Um, it says that your average wage from, you know, if we do the weighted average, it's around 42. Okay. with your support staff around 30,000. 30, so I'm not sure if that'll help Kate. Okay. This is Christina Gentry, member at large. I'm just going to keep on the same track with Kay um, and ask about what metric you use to entice new hires here in Lawrence um, or surrounding areas, but we'd be using social media or, you know, things like Indeed.com. How will you entice um, employment opportunities uh, to your facility? 
Yeah, I think both of those ways that you mentioned uh, will definitely be utilized. Um, admittedly, I don't work on the operations side, but typically um, once we're under construction and we're anywhere between nine to six months out, uh, we'll usually um, start having folks, whether it be in a sales office trailer or uh, in a you know remote office nearby the, the project. And uh, we'll usually send some corporate folks out and they'll start driving both uh, leasing on the, on the resident side and also um, start focusing on hiring uh, folks local in the community um, and, and trying to, we, our goal is obviously to get to a point when the facility opens, we're fully staffed and ready to go. Um, and we've been successful in doing that on projects in the past, but typically, six to nine months out, we will start uh, start that process and really start pounding the pavement locally uh, in terms of driving both new residents uh, to live in our community and, and staff uh, to work in the community. Okay, and another quick question, Nick, this is Christina Gentry, member at large. What um, is the patient to staff ratio in your facilities? Um, that's a great question. I can probably do the math. Um, quickly here. Um, probably be about one and a half residents to staff member. Uh, if we're talking strictly care staff, it's probably three residents to one staff member on the care side. Uh, this is uh, Kay Emerson again, um, representative school board. Uh, okay, so um, uh, I had a couple more questions. Um, one of my uh, questions is, um, is when it comes to, um, you, you had stated that, you know, uh, one of the reasons that you are interested is because of just the existing age. I was just kind of curious, like how, how many individuals in Lawrence um, actually are, are needing additional housing in, in this age group? I, I think that was one of the main points I was missing from what you were sharing. Yeah, so um, just to kind of give you some insight on how we select new uh, markets to enter, uh, we do both internal um, sort of market analysis as well as utilize third party uh, market analysis. Um, and we really look at um, the age of inventory, the, the market rates uh, that folks are charging, and then the occupancy levels. And in, in this scenario in Lawrence, we found um, that uh, there's a lot of facilities charging a lot of money um, for assisted living uh, apartments that could potentially be 20, 30 years old, outdated. And we think we can provide a product that's much nicer at a very, very similar cost. Um, and then there were several uh, communities that we uh, thought to be direct competitors that had waiting lists and that were full, which is the number one indicator that there's demand for this type of product. Um, and then we do both... Uh, pull demographics and run internal and external analysis that both indicated demand for more uh, seniors, not just presently, uh, there is demand presently, but we expect that number to continue to grow over the next five to 10 years. Uh, so we think um, based on the size of this project, we, we expect it to, to lease up rather quickly. So. I appreciate that. And then very lastly, uh, what's kind of that return of an investment for you guys um, with uh, knowing uh, that with this vote, uh, well, with this 
decision we're about to make uh, with the savings um, on construction. Uh, what would uh, the potential return of investment would be on this project for you all? For the the return on investment of getting the construction sales tax exemption. Um, to be honest, I'm not quite sure what that number is. Uh, I know, Britt, I believe in, in your uh, staff report, did you have an estimated savings based on the construction size and at the, the local sales tax rate? I, I will try not to choke, but I <clears throat> I am battling a bug, so I apologize. Oh, um, yeah, I do have that in my staff report. There is an estimated sales tax on this um, this amount of estimated sales tax exemption would be two hundred thirty thousand three hundred fifteen, of which approximately fifty three thousand of that is coming from the city. Now that's assuming all materials are bought within Lawrence. I don't know what the construction team has in terms of of deciding, you know, where they're going to be purchasing their materials and that sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> this sales tax exemption would be within the state of Kansas. Uh, if you bought materials outside of that state, I don't know how, I, I'm not familiar enough to know um, if this exemption would extend to those types of purchases. So this is really looking at the maximum. And again, this is Christina Gentry, member at large, and I'll continue on asking about employment opportunities. And if you can answer these questions, please do. Um, but you may um, may or may not know all the information. Um, I would like to know, um, using your um, other facilities, I hear that you have quite a few, some located in one is in Topeka and other places. Um, could, would you say you have a good overall understanding of staff and um, people who are working with you or, or hires uh, presently in your other facilities? Um, to be honest, personally, no, I do not. I visit our facilities. I, I work more on the front end of the development construction side. Um, I visit our facilities, um, you know, often when I'm on the road, but I'm not in there uh, enough on a daily basis to speak to specifically to the folks that are that are working in these facilities but happy to try to answer your question to the best i can <laughs> sure sure this is christina gentry again um so i'm imagining um, who you would work in contact with at, at, at your other facilities would be executive positions or uh, anyone who is carrying a professional position um, you would be meeting with those folks, I would imagine, even if you weren't on the floor and understanding all of the uh, different folks who you have working mm -hmm. in your facilities, is that correct? Uh, to an extent, uh, the executive level staff at the specific, at the community level, at the location level, um, they'll actually report to uh, Cedarhurst Senior Living has a set of regional managers that might oversee a portfolio of two to three communities. Um, and then those folks will report to their higher level regional managers. And so I'm more and I'm in communication with those folks um, as we're getting ready to open a new project. Um, and so to be honest, I, I, I don't have much interaction with the actual administrative level staff at each specific location. 
Okay. Well, that's fair. This is Christina Gentry again. Because um, my question would kind of tell into um, how many of those positions are held by people of color, um, and then how many of them will be an executive? Because uh, I see that it's $50 an hour for an executive paid position um, there at your facility, and professionals get $30 an hour. And then taking gender diversity in, into consideration, what are the positions most held um, at the um, space in your facility. So maybe you aren't the person to ask these questions uh, to. Um, yeah. Um, and maybe that would be helpful information. Yeah, yeah I can certainly uh, talk with our HR department. Uh, obviously, diversity is very important to us. And I can't say from a gender aspect, uh, just going off the cuff, I know that a majority of the administrative uh, level employees in our communities are typically women. Um, and I think that's just a nature of the senior care industry. Um, but I can certainly reach out to our HR department if you guys want specific figures on diversity or, or gender inclusion or what have you. I would appreciate that. This is Christine Gentry. Uh, thank you for your answers, Nick. Thank you. Appreciate it. This is Commissioner Kelly. I've got a couple questions. Michelle, if that's okay. Perfect. So uh, this may be for Britt, and I'm going to go down a road that we seem to go down on every perk request that we have. And I'm looking specifically at page four of the application. Uh, well, not the application, but the document the city puts together. And I notice under retail and residential projects, um, the policy says that it that the city declines issues IRB projects for that are largely retail or residential in nature. And then it lists a whole bunch of not applicable, not applicable, not applicable. And so I'm trying to understand how this project is not residential in nature, um, which therefore wouldn't qualify. So Brett, I'm just interested in your recommendation and how, what, what was your thinking about that? And I yeah. can, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you, go ahead. Yeah, Patrick, um, I'd be happy. Rick Crumcano, Economic Development Director. Yeah, staff looked at this. We did think about that, but because of the nature of the services that are provided, we felt that this was a very different type of project than a regular um, residential project. And so um, we would consider it more of a medical residential versus a regular residential, or maybe even more medical services and senior service type of project. <laughs> Thank you, Britt. And, and, but medical is not one of those as a targeted business. Is that correct? Am I reading that correctly? Yeah, that is, that is correct. But this um, <clears throat> provides, I don't know if I want to, um, the targeted business is up above Yes. Those are mainly for industrial type projects of which this would not be. This is more of a community development project of which we have considered, you know, many in the past. Um, so I think that's one of the areas of the policy that we probably look, need to look at updating and broadening because of the types of projects that we want to see coming forward within the community. But this is <clears throat> this particular uh, section here, 2.5.4, deals primarily with industrial types and manufacturing type of projects. Thanks, and Commissioner Phil. I mean, 
chair fails, I have one more question, and this one's for the applicant, and it's more towards your assertion that uh, you said earlier that this project could not be done. I, I don't know. I may be misphrasing when I say could not be done or that you the other projects you have done in the area have included these IRB bonds and makes it fiscally necessary. What I have read about nursing homes and, and especially elder care facilities is it is extremely profitable um, and that um, that there is a high demand. And I know for a fact that there's high demand because I have family friend who is trying to find this very type of facility here in, in Lawrence. And I, I'm just, I would like you to address a little bit about demand and whether you, you know, it's that always that question of this, we didn't give you these IRB bonds, would you develop this project anyways? And I'm sure you're going to say, no, of course not. We would never develop this project without these IRB funds. But I think part of our job is sort of to understand like, like where is that threshold here? Because you know, on the county side, $16,000 buys a lot of stuff. <laughs> and so while it also will increase our tax base, I want to make sure that, you know, not, not assessing these sales taxes um, is really necessary and for in order for this project to go forward. So I'm just trying to get a sense of that. I'd like to put my cards on the table and sort of tell you yeah. where I'm at. Absolutely. Um, well, I can tell you this. Um, I think you're right about the demand. Uh, and I believe that the, that demand is going to exist for quite some time just due to the nature of the aging population. So um, we're confident that there's demand for this project and the project will succeed if it goes forward. Um, however, senior living is a little bit um, it's sort of a niche product type and it, it's a little interesting how COVID and uh, the current uh, sort of state of the economy is is affecting senior housing. Um, and what you're seeing is it's not just uh, sort of like apartments or uh, any other general type of commercial real estate. Um, we're getting affected on, on two levels, and, and that's both the rise in construction costs, which makes projects more difficult to pencil, but really uh, what's driving uh, where, where this request comes from is is labor as well. And so um, throughout COVID, we saw spikes as great as 20, 30% in our operating costs, um, which can really drive down a business plan and, and turn a project upside down very quickly. Um, and while we're in the process of, of developing this project, um, we've had to reprice other projects several times and we've seen construction costs rise 15, 20% just in a matter of months of repricing projects and, and subcontractors not willing to hold their pricing because of the dramatic changes in, in labor and material and what have you. So um, I can't say definitively if we didn't get this sales tax exemption, this project would not go through, but it's a way for us to hedge against all these risks and dramatic price uh, changes that we're seeing both on the construction side and the labor side. Um, it's becoming very challenging uh, in this environment to make these projects pencil. So um, that's that was the nature of the request. Um, and as you mentioned, we're not requesting any real estate tax abatement. So we believe the the benefit uh, and the the tax payment that we'll be making on the property side um, is is a far greater benefit uh, than the what the city or the or the state will be giving up on that smaller sales tax portion on the construction side. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate your candor on that question, Madam Chair. And 
um, member Kelly, if I could, this is Britt Crumkane, our economic development director. Uh, Patrick, I did want to, <clears throat> there's something I overlooked since I do these kind of in advance. Section 2.5.5 does allow IRBs to be done for senior living types of facilities. So <clears throat> did want to point out that yes, we can do this. The other thing is for a sales tax exemption IRB, the policy does not require a cost benefit or benefit cost analysis to be ran. Um, so typically I don't, but this particular time I did. And <clears throat> I wanted to share with you some of the numbers because I think this kind of gets back to, if you want to talk about return on investment and what the, our different taxing jurisdictions are getting back from a project like this, we typically look at a cost benefit ratio. The city um, likes to see a ratio of one to 1.25, which means for every dollar of assistance that's going in, we get a dollar and 25 cents in benefit value. This particular project, because it's adding so much to the tax rolls and it has a lot of investment, the benefit cost ratios for the city are 4.25, for the county that's $6.64 and for the school district $3.90. So if you wanna look at that as our return on our public dollar investment, I think that's one of the better ways of looking at it. This is Michelle Clintz. Um, oh, sorry, Chair Britt. Thank you for that information. Did someone have something to ask? Hi, yes, uh, this is the uh, Kay Emerson uh, board rep, uh, school board rep. I wanted to ask a real quick question on that return of investment uh, that you just shared, Britt, um, was um, how long um, would we be looking at that? What's kind of that timeline for that return of investment to, to actually come through? Typically, when I run a cost benefit analysis, I like to go five years be beyond the incentive period. Since this period is almost instantaneous, I ran it for five years. So we're looking at a five year time period for that. And then of course, uh, beyond that, because it's fully on the tax rolls, uh, at a much higher um, property tax value than the, the vacant lot is currently bringing in, it continues to bring in those revenues. Um, this is Michelle LeTaire. Um, yeah, um, Britt, holding on what you just said, um, I just ran a quick and dirty um, real estate tax calculation based off of 19% of the uh, value. Um, I know that's a little low based off of what the county actually assesses it at, but just thought it would give us a picture. Um, and it would take, um, a little under four years just using the real estate tax uh, increase alone just to uh, pay for this IRB. Um, that's not accounting any, you know, benefit from jobs or uh, anything else. So um, that's just my calculation on it. But, you know, I work off of numbers, so that's how I think. Um, anyone else on the committee uh, have some questions? Have some questions. Uh, this is Kate Lorenz. 
um, if I can step in. So I appreciate the um, info that you've provided, Nick uh, and Andrew, if you're there. Um, yeah, I see you now. Um, and Britt, thank you for those numbers as well. Um, I also appreciate the info in the application um, for the IRB uh, in the areas of the public benefits for economic enhancement, for job creation, and for quality of life enhancement. I'm curious about the area that didn't have anything marked in it, the environmental sustainability. So it doesn't say that it will meet Energy Star criteria, um, nor be built to lead equivalent level, nor provide environmentally friendly features. So I just wanted to ask about that and hear um, more about the environmental, um, environmental and sustainability aspects of the project and of your company um, and its values. Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, again, with the with the current construction market and the cost increases, um, that's just honestly not something that we focus on with our facilities. Um, what we do focus on uh, in terms of resident um, environment uh, is a strong emphasis on outdoor space. Um, so each resident will have its own um, private porch uh, or patio. Um, and then there's also two uh, outdoor courtyards within the community uh, with walking paths, green space, uh, plenty of plantings. Um, uh, and, and in addition, there's uh, some some resident uh, community gardens as well. Um, and then we, we plan to incorporate some walking paths on the exterior of the facility as well for, for residents um, uh, that will also tie in with the surrounding area and the surrounding properties. So while the, while the physical plant itself might not have uh, some of those uh, environmental certifications that were listed on the application, we still feel the project uh, provides a lot of green space and amenity space uh, for the resident, which is which is most important to us is the resident aspect of it. So. Um, thank you. So just kind of building off of that, just wanted to um, kind of draw attention to some of the things um, that are unique about Lawrence. So in the um, in Ernst & Young's economic development assessment that I believe came out in 2020, um, they found that the protection of the environment and sustainability are extremely important values for Lawrence as a community, um, for our residents. So um, one of the, one of the um, findings in that report says that the commitment to respecting, protecting, and celebrating the environment is a notable, notable aspect, uh, noticeable aspect of Lawrence's culture. The focus goes beyond the environment outdoors to include creating sustainable buildings, utilities, and transportation. Um, and for um, for the applicants as well as the, um, the city staff, just reinforcing that um, the report also says to address these concerns, the economic development strategy could prioritize protecting and preserving the natural environment. So um, just wanted to kind of reiterate that um, that that sort of environmentalism and sustainability um, is not not just a sort of a separate checkbox, but um, in Lawrence um, is meant to be kind of integrated into everything that we do. Um, in addition, in February of 2021, the city commission unanimously voted to um, direct the city to implement the Green New Deal sustainability principles into all of its planning and decision making um, as applicable. Um, so just kind of wanted to point that out um, as, as some unique and very um, important aspects of Lawrence as a community. Um, and Nick, if you have thoughts um, or Andrew in response to that, I'd love to hear them. 
Um, yeah, I can't speak anything specifically to that, but certainly something that uh, obviously if that's important to the community, that's something we can certainly take into account. Um, the, the plans for the facility aren't entirely finalized. And so if there's ways where we can incorporate uh, environmentally friendly uh, aspects to the design, or like I mentioned, some of those exterior courtyards, if we can um, see if we can add some sort of uh, features um, that might enhance uh, those characteristics that the city's looking for, uh, I think that's something that uh, we'll certainly do and um, maybe even, you know, get some feedback from the city uh, in ways that we can, we can enhance those spaces to highlight some of those uh, things you were talking about within our design. Thank you. Sure. This is Commissioner Kelly and, and Nick. I I would encourage you to visit with the planning department there um, because there are some credits that you can get, uh, maybe not monetary incentive credits, but some some other um, credits that may lower the cost of your project with other requirements if you're willing to um, adjust the project towards those sustainability guidelines that Kate is speaking about. Um, we really probably don't do a good enough job of explaining that to developers and what what those opportunities are. So um, it is a value of, of the county and the city, our sustainability branches, both city and county. And so I, I just would encourage you if your plans aren't finalized to visit with the planning department about some opportunities there. Yeah, absolutely. We'll do when we uh, when we plan on engaging them with the for the permit process. That's something I'll bring up with them. This is Christina Gentry, community member at large. I have a lot of questions, so just bear with me here. Um, and we're going to continue. I'm going to continue in the vein of uh, Kate's uh, focus on community impact, um, especially talking and, and maybe centering and, and bringing a lens on the economic um, enhancement description of your application, page two um, of the application packet. Um, I'll quote you here. It says, seniors who move into your facility, um, excuse me, typically sell their homes, um, giving younger families opportunities to purchase those homes and in turn increasing the tax base. Um, with that objective in mind, um, we're, I believe I read that your focus on to help maintain um, our seniors to stay in place and live in place. Um, I just want to ask you if you're aware of the typical average home ownership of Douglas County and Lawrence specifically and its demographic makeup here. Um, are you, do you have some understanding of what home ownership would look like? And typically if you're, well, if you're saying um, in your application that um, seniors would sell their homes, do you know how many and what the makeup is of the seniors who own their own homes in order to sell to live in your facility. Um, so I'm just kind of curious if you know what Douglas County home ownership looks like in order for people to maybe afford to live in your facility. Um, as far as the percentage of folks that own a home in Douglas County, I don't have that figure on me. I know it's part of our uh, market analysis, so I could pull that figure and get back to you. Um, what we mean when we talk about so I guess to give you an example, our, our typical resident is, let's say, 85 years of age. Um, it's someone who uh, definitely is not fit for a nursing home. Uh, they're still, uh, you know, social. They're still, they still want to be active. Um, most likely they're living at home. Maybe they've lost a spouse in the last several years. 
Um, maybe their their children uh, live in a different town or they're not nearby, um, and they're folks that um, just need a little bit of assistance uh, with activities of daily living. So when we when we talk about um, sort of the the transition of, of homes within a community, typically what we've seen is um, someone will move into our community. Um, they are say 85, like I mentioned, they're not in the, the greatest of shape to where they're able to upkeep with their house. And so maybe their house has become a little deteriorated over the last few years. And so when they move into our facility, uh, typically they'll, they'll sell that off um, and use those funds to, you know, keep up with the rest of their life or, or, or use it to, um, to pay the fees to move into our facility. And then in turn, uh, maybe a younger family or someone can, can buy that home and, uh, make improvements and increase the, the property value. Um, so no, I don't, I don't have specific figures, obviously with Lawrence being a college town, I'm sure the home ownership rate isn't quite as high as somewhere like Topeka. Um, but we still feel there's plenty of, uh, seniors, uh, in town that, that own their own homes and would be good candidates to move into our community. Thank you for your response. And I'll kind of chime in when I hear um, something um, coming from the rest of the group. I don't want to bogart all this time. I've got quite a few questions, but if, if there comes a, an opportunity to ask about, um, you know, how much rent will be, um, what are you charging for each of your units and what the affordable bill um, plan is for that. Um, I'll chime in then, but I'm going to leave the space open for others to maybe ask on the economic description um, of your application and what that would mean for families who do own homes or for individuals who do home, own their homes and, and sell them to live in that facility. So I'll just stop there. Thank you. Sure. And I will say the, the community will be priced, uh, if not even with uh, comparable facilities in town, even at, at a bit of a discount. Um, and that's sort of our value proposition to the, to the local seniors. Right. Thank you. Any other PERC um, members that might have questions? All right. Um, I have a few. And then, Christine, if um, you have any questions off of those, um, let me know. Um, how far along is your Topeka project at this time? You mentioned there was a project in Topeka. Uh, it's probably 50% completed. So okay. it's still under construction. All right. And do you know, um, right of hand, of the contractors being used, how many of them are local and how many are uh, coming from out of town? The majority of them are certainly uh, from the state of Kansas. Um, I know we're using some from surrounding towns and then definitely uh, a good amount from Topeka. I don't know the exact figures, uh, but it's usually more beneficial to use local contractors. It wouldn't very, it wouldn't really benefit us to bring folks from say St. Louis or Illinois um, to work on a project in Kansas. And I think uh, most contractors are so busy right now that nobody would be willing to travel that far anyway. So um, typically on most projects, we anticipate that majority of the subcontractors are going to be from, if not within that specific uh, town and certain surrounding towns at a minimum. And I know um, that finding a contractor that can get there timely these days may be a limiting factor also. Um, Very much so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
the reason I asked that is there there was another project, and I, I won't name it, uh, that I asked that specific question of how much of it would be local. And it was a project that I drove by quite often during construction. I was very dismayed to see um, out-of-state um, contractors uh, being utilized when the contractors stated that they would be using locals. So, you know, it is something we like to see if at all possible is the local contractors that we do know that, you know, you have to make it fiscally feasible. Plus you also, um, you know, have the availability of the contractors that can come into play. So I was just curious um, on that. Um, when do you start marketing your units for rental? Uh, typically typically yeah. six months prior to opening. Okay, so we would see uh, your advertising for these probably with the, you know, mid two thousand twenty three date, give or take. That, correct. Okay. Yeah, that sounds that sounds fairly accurate. Typically, we'll start hiring um, our sales staff and it, and high level administrative staff about six months out. Um, and then they'll really start pounding the pavement locally um, and start marketing and start um, doing some maybe virtual tours or potentially in-person tours if, if the municipality allows it. And that's when we really start um, pushing those efforts. All right. And then going back to your jobs, do you typically bring in the director from another location? because they already have the experience or do you tend to hire that locally? No, we tend to hire it locally and it's very important to hire locally actually just because of the each state and each uh, municipality is sort of different in their licensure and their uh, regulations regarding uh, assisted living. Um, so it's very critical that we hire locally, uh, especially from within the state. And it's usually beneficial to hire folks locally who just know the town and know um, sort of all the key players and, and kind of the environment and the, the different uh, areas of town and uh, and who the stakeholders are. It's 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 very critical to hire locally, and so that's what we intend to do. Great. Um, as far as your um, employment breakdown, um, as far as benefits that are provided to the employees, um, can you explain that a little bit? Uh, yeah. So each full time employee I know will get the full standard suite of benefits that you know folks like us at the corporate office get so uh healthcare 401k um pto uh, all that sort of good stuff um I, in our application i think andrew you might you might be able to remind me uh we might have included uh some excerpts from our from our hr packet um so i can't speak to the details of that but i believe it might have it, it might have been included with our application I'll look for that again. Um, as far as financing for this project, is that a local lender or have it, did you have to go out of town for that? We have not finalized that, but uh, I have I have talked to several local lenders. So we, we try to look, work with local lenders where we can. And we've spoken to several local uh, financial institutions about financing the project. Great, great. Um, and then... Um, I'm looking at the map here. So I see Walmart, I have Sprouts, and I have your uh, Cedarhurst. And uh, and if I'm looking at this map, it's kind of catty corner or right beside um, Theater Lawrence. Is that correct? Correct. Just east of um, Theater Lawrence is our site. Okay, great. 
Um, do you believe that the current assisted living at the corner of uh, Folks and Bower Farm Drive, and I, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, is going to cause any issue um, with even or do you think it will add, uh, add enhance that because of two? So we actually, we actually think that particular facility could act as a feeder to ours. They actually don't provide any assisted living or memory care. They're an independent living facility. Um, so folks in that community are probably quite a bit younger, quite a bit more active. And if they start requiring care, they're either going to have to bring it in from a third party, usually and pay a premium uh, to whereas they could move into our facility and get it in-house at a, at a more uh, economical cost. Um, so we, we see it as a scenario where folks might move into the Meadowlark uh, community and then maybe five, 10 years go by. And as they age and require a little bit more care, then our facility would be a much better fit. So we don't really see them as a direct competitor, rather as a potential feeder. Um, and we think, you know, we'll probably have a pretty amicable relationship with those folks just on the fact that we're serving a bit of a different uh, demographic of senior. Okay. And then just to touch on your comment, um, and Christine, this might help, uh, Christine, this might help with one of your uh, comments is, um, so I want to make sure that I understood your comment in the packet that if you have someone who's living in their own um, home at this point in time, um, then, you know, if they choose to move into your facility or another facility in town, that most likely they're going to sell their current home which would then put that on the market for, uh, you know, depending on the price point of that house, <laughs> um, you know, for possibly a uh, family to buy. And, uh, and all I can say from the real estate point of view is, you know, we've been fighting our second year of limited inventory. So um, I could see that as being a pro out of this project, um, you know, depending on the houses that are put on the market um, and, uh, and so I just wanted to make that comment. I don't know if that helps, Christina, with your question. Unmute. There we go. Yes, thank you for coming back to that and circling back. I think more of what I was trying to gauge um, from Nick was um, if there was an understanding about the Lawrence demographic of home ownership. Um, so specifically, you would be um, really looking at taking applications from the majority of homeowners, if that were to be the case for someone would have to, in order to live in your facilities, not in order to, um, not specifically, and not, you know, um, saying this is the only way that a person can afford to live there, but we're taking into um, the understanding of home ownership and who owns homes in Lawrence. And so if you didn't have those figures in that number, I would say that you should maybe, well, I mean, I work at the health department, so one of my benefits working here is to understand our health equity report um, that kind of understands and gives a, a screening to what home ownership looks like in Douglas County. And so um, while a little more than half of household, households identifying as white, uh, non-Hispanic reported owning their own homes, um, the vast majority of owners of their own homes in Douglas County um, are self-identified white, non-Hispanic. Um, so that just is taking inventory of what our makeup and demographics looks like when it comes to home ownership. So um, I was just kind of wanting to know um, the the depth of understanding of what home ownership looks like for the residents here. Um, and so taking that into account 
Um, if we could um, maybe shift to not just home ownership, but how um, a person would pay for the facilities or pay rent. Um, from what I understand on your website, that it says that senior living is not covered by Medicare. Um, so I'm also wondering about the people um, who would be um, finding this place to be their final home um, and moving into this facility and what percent of homes will be reserved, if any, um, for those receiving Medicaid or Medicare. And then will they be, if any, made affordable to those um, who were maybe needing affordable housing options? Um, so maybe the Medicare, Medicaid question is something that you'll be able to offer us more understanding about. Yeah, so this is a, a totally private pay uh, facility. Um, typically, uh, the affordable senior housing product that you see is financed through uh, government uh, low-income housing tax credits. And so this project uh, does not incorporate any of that. Um, typically, the, the home analogy is just one of, of many instances and in, in how a senior might arrive at our facility. Um, some other instances, maybe they're living with their with their children and um, the children are looking for a better, more holistic care environment to provide. Um, sometimes they sell their home, sometimes they don't sell their home, sometimes um, you know, it's not always required that a senior sells their home. That's just a that's just a scenario where someone might move into our, one of our communities. Um, and so, typically, they're they're using either funds from the sale of their home, their retirement savings. Um, uh, some of some of the folks have long term care insurance to help cover the costs. Uh, there's VA benefits. So, if the spouse of the folk, uh, folks moving into our home or the resident themselves serve in the military, there's benefits that they can tap into there. Um, so there's there's certainly a different number of different ways uh, where folks finance the cost to live in one of our communities. Um, and it's typically, you know, when someone moves into our community, as you mentioned, it's usually their last home. And so uh, we don't expect someone to, you know, sell their house at age 65 and then draw down funds for 20, 30 years. It's, you know, the folks moving into our community are typically 85 plus. Um, and so obviously we want to keep them there as long as possible. Um, and there, there's usually sufficient funds uh, to, to support them throughout throughout the rest of their life. All right, this is Michelle Fails, the chair. Um, any other questions from our board? All right. Um, well, I'm sorry, I was pausing. <laughs> I told you, I've got a lot of them. Um, this is Christina Gentry, member at large. I was just pausing for someone else to chime in. Um, this is lastly, <clears throat> finally, this is my last question, um, and this is, you know, maybe maybe a question you can't um, answer, Nick, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, yeah. In reading to your online public-facing presence, your homepage, um, I did some, you know, some looking around, and um, I'll quote here about Dover Capital. Um, he says Dover Capital is a senior private equity investor in living and healthcare industries. It says that Dover takes every project with concern for detail. Um, it does strategic, <clears throat> excuse me, strategic planning. Excuse me. Um, it does cost management and flexibility. And what I did read was that you strive for transparency, integrity, and 
dependability in every transaction. Um, with that being said, I did not read where there was a statement made public uh, of your business equity and diversity policy and how you execute that um, your company values racial and demographic diversity within your employers and your residents. Um, nor did I read your purpose to include health equity um, as a process which includes actions. Um, and being that Dover Company also supports consulting and advisory teams um, that advertise every changing industry rules and standards. So it, it means to me what I heard or read, what I read was that um, you, you are dedicated to data-driven and, de and wanting to deliver superior success. Um, my question is, would you be open to creating a statement that includes actionable commitments and that reflects inclusivity, which holds accountability of expectations of your organization? And would you be able to have that posted on your public home web pages by the end of 2022? Um, it's definitely something that we would like to consider. Uh, that might be more on uh, the HR or executive level management's, uh, I guess, responsibilities, um, but something that I can certainly ask after this meeting um, and sort of bump that question up the chain. Um, unfortunately, I can't really speak to that uh, with my specific role um, or my, you know, daily responsibilities, um, but I can, I can certainly investigate that. Okay, Mr. Gentry, that's fair. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, this is Michelle, um, Perk Chair. Perk um, members, any additional questions? All right, and from what I understand, we don't have anybody that has public comment. Is that correct, Britt? Yes, Madam Chair, that is correct. All right, so that being said, if there's no additional questions, um, if anybody on the PER committee would like to make a motion, feel free to do so. Uh, Madam Chairman, this is Brad Burnside. I would move that we approve the request as presented based on precedent and uh, based on staff recommendation and based on the fact that this entity is not requesting any uh, real estate tax abatements. All right, so uh, board member Brad Burnside has made a motion to approve the request as presented based off of precedent staff recommendation and that no real estate abatement has been requested. Is there any second to that motion? Michelle, this is John Matthews. I'd like to second that motion. All right, so Brad has made the motion and John Matthews has seconded. Um, so I am going to take a roll call vote. All right, um, John Matthews. Aye. Brad Burnside. Aye. Christina Gentry. Um, nay. And maybe there can be more discussion upon um, are we deciding to approve the application or decided that we're not? I'm, I'm curious about the question being asked right now. Brad has made the motion that we approve the um, 
recommendation at this point in time as presented. And so right now, John and Brad have placed yes votes. And if I understand your nay vote, is that correct? That's correct, yes. Okay, thank you. Kay Emerson. Kay, are you still there? Hey, I'm not hearing you. It looks like you're on mute. I am. Okay, thank you. Are, are, you, are you ready for my response? Yes, please. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Yep, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear um, you. My vote is no. Okay, thank you. Adam Ritchie. Aye. Kate Lorenz. Nay. Patrick Kelly? Nay. All right, and I am a yes. So at this time, we have a recommendation with four yeses to the motion to approve the request as presented and four no's. So it is a um, tied vote. And if I understand, Britt, that is just how we pass on the recommendation. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, is there any, um, yeah, uh, Kay, I just got your uh, chat and I did get your vote under no, so thank you. Um, all right, uh, any additional um, items for the agenda? All right, do we have a motion to adjourn? Michelle, this is John, I'd like to make a motion to adjourn. All right, and any second for that? Michelle, this is Adam. I'd like to second that. All right, and uh, Britt, do I have to take a roll call vote for adjournment? I don't think so. You can yeah. do that just to be safe though, if you want to. Okay, all right, John, should we adjourn? Uh, aye. Okay, um, Brad. Aye. Christina. Yes. See you next time. All right, Kay Emerson. Kay, are you still there? Kay's an aye. Okay, thank you. Um, Adam. Aye. Kate Lawrence. Aye. Patrick Kelly. Aye. Yes. Okay. K is an I, just so you know. Got it. All right. Got it. And I'm an I. So meeting is adjourned. I appreciate everyone's time today. And we had a good discussion. So uh, everyone have a good time. And we hope to see you all soon. Bye, everyone. Thank Bye. you.